0: Good afternoon. Can y'all hear this? Y'all can hear me? Okay, I can't always hear. I'm going to say good afternoon, everyone. (laughs) 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 Thank you for joining us this afternoon for speaking truths. As you all know, this is the culmination of a number of different conversations throughout the academic year around DEI issues, but but specifically to inclusion and belonging. Um, As you also know, we had to cancel this due to snow earlier this semester, but we're glad that we were able to get Joshua Dodds back. Um, We, along with my team, along with the dean and a few students, were able to spend some, some time with Joshua last night and engaged in some really good conversation. And so I'm, I'm super excited to hear what he has to say and, and share with the rest of the community. Um, our intention is always to leave the space that we entered, having everyone leave with a little bit more knowledge and perhaps a little bit better than, than everyone entered. And so we, um, we go into this talk today with that same spirit, but let me introduce our speaker. Um, With issues of racial justice, equity, and anti-racism on the rise, Joshua Dodds is a timely voice speaking truth and cultivating essential conversations to empower others to embrace understanding and active engagement as a means to creating change. Joshua Dodds is an experienced diversity, equity, and inclusion professional who who is committed to supporting faculty, students, employees, and businesses in exercising inclusive teaching and learning in the pursuit of education. With a clear pulse on issues of equity and racial justice and best practices for cultivating and welcoming a cohesive culture, he specializes in providing guidance in shaping and shifting the culture of educational and corporate spaces. Josh holds a Masters of Higher Education Administration from Northeastern University in Boston, Massachusetts, and a Bachelor of Science in Sociology from the University of Massachusetts Amherst in Amherst, Massachusetts. And so I give you Josh for that.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you all. Thank you all for, thank you for that wonderful intro and thank you to the the and i team for um, just hospitality and um, the welcome. So I appreciate it. So good afternoon, everyone. Um, as stated, my name is Joshua Dodds. I am a 14-year diversity, equity, inclusion practitioner. I am a three-institution professor at UMass Amherst, Suffolk University in Boston and Fritzburg State Unibos- um, University in Fritzburg, Massachusetts, where I teach in sociology departments and criminology departments as an adjunct. Classes on diversity, race and oppression, race and racism, kind of all over the campus. I also work professionally as a DEI specialist in various institutions. Um, I also work as an independent contractor where I will go into different spaces and also teach about diversity, equity and inclusion. So this is really what I do and who I am, and what I really want to kind of talk about today and really focus on is being a force for good and what that means, right? When we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, the majority of the work that we do in DEI is really surrounded, about, surrounded by teaching, treating people the way that you want to be treated, kind of that golden rule that you learn about you know, when you're like three years old and kind of understanding who people are, right? Like this work is really about just treating people the way that you would want to be treated with kindness, with love, all of those things. That's really the bulk and the core of what we do and why we do this work. Though it gets a little deeper than that, it can get uncomfortable. Um, it, 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 it can cause you to really reflect on yourself. But ultimately, it's about just being a good person and also treating people as if they're good people too. And that's really what we want to read, what we want to do in this field, and what we want to do in this space, and where we want to talk about. A lot about, that's really, the discussion is really just about that. And, oh. click word. No, it's,
2: okay.
1: it's okay, let me see. Uh, I think we can. Uh. Okay, that's fine. I can use the mouse, the mouse is perfectly fine. So I always start with a little bit of ground rules, and. Just about being in this space and what that means. Uh, understanding that no group is the same. Groups of a single race and gender orientation, etc., can have multiple perspectives. Um, speak for yourself using I statements, such as "I think," "I feel," or "I believe," and that's more for the Q and A part. But just when you're reflecting on yourself or anything that we're talking about, always reflect on yourself and your experience. Be compassionate towards yourself and others, and what is learned. Can be shared and used to educate and what is learned in this space. So, like I said, well, that's updated because it's 14 years now, congratulations. But I want to start doing this, but I am a 14 year DEI practitioner, educator, three institution professor, and I want to talk a little bit about my intersections and my dimensions. And what this is, is dimensions of diversity, which I got a little bit jumbled when I transferred it, but it's okay. But dimensions of diversity is essentially. Talking about your intersections and what those wheels are when it comes to your socioeconomic status, your race, ethnicity, gender, all those things that make up what those intersections are. And for me, my intersection, my main intersection, especially the ones that I dive into every day, is that I'm a male, I am black, I'm straight, I identify as Christian, and those identities put me in various rooms, right? Me being black comes with its own set of disadvantages when I walk into a space, but also me being a straight male Christian in America also gives me a set of advantages in spaces and what that means. And when you walk into a room, you always want to think about what your intersections are. Reflect on who you are and what makes up who you are as a person. And those intersections are things that I reflect on every day. And when it comes to my entire life and my being, you know, I am black, I'm a black man. I am married to a black woman who is an entrepreneur and has her own business and her own mental health and therapy practice. And I'm raising three beautiful black boys, ages nine, because I have a birthday tomorrow, (laughs) six and three. And when people talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, and what we do and who we are, you know this is not something for me that is necessarily a 9 to 5 right i can have a job i can do that but just listening off all my intersections and the people who are closest to me and who i protect and who i make sure that i feed and um, i you know just make sure that they're okay all those things tie into who i am as a person and that makes up my div- my dimensions of diversity which means this is not something that i turn off Right. And I have a group of friends who are always like, you know, I always examine things through that lens. I always examine those things through that lens of diversity. And my friends are always like, Man, you can't turn it off. I'm watching something and I'm like, I'll say something or I'll examine something. And they're like, Can you just like watch the show? Like, can you not can you not do this to me today? And I'm just like, I'm sorry. I'm just doing that. And I'll give you an example. I don't know if anybody in here watched Power on Stars. It's a great show. I would recommend that you watch. It. But episode two had a lot of commentary on microaggressions, intersectionality, all those things amongst all the crime and the murder and the, the law stuff. But
2: make
0: sense of that.
1: I am, you know, I'm talking about these things. I'm like, man, I'm really excited. I'm going to use this in a class. I'm doing this and that. And my friend is just like, can you not? Like, can you can you just, can we just watch the show? Look at the, look at the shootings. Look at the stuff. Just watch the show. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, I can't turn it off because this is just who I am and what makes up me. Um, and I'm always thinking about that. Um, and sometimes you know, it could it be a bearing and it could be heavy at times, but it's just something that I truly cannot turn off. But I don't want to turn off either because I want to make sure that when I'm walking into somewhere that I can show up as my authentic self and that the people around me can also show up and be their authentic selves. as well. And that's always the most important part for me. So the focus on our time will be about intentional and authentic community building, understanding and
2: allyship. So intentional and authentic
1: community building with the DEI lens, how we look at intentional and authentic community building is about understanding your surroundings. And when I think about that, even here, right, I had uh, the the privilege last night to meet with some students and I had a student talk to me about how they're here at this school, but they feel isolated. They're like, I come from. You know, the MENA region, Middle East and North Africa. You know, my parents are immigrants. Um, I have all of these vast intersections that I feel like I cannot relate to. I may know one or two people who are here, maybe, who can kind of relate to who I am here. And I don't have that community. And I have a higher ed background. So I worked in higher ed up until recently, my entire career. Um, I served as the director of diversity and inclusion at a small PWI. I then moved into back into my alma mater of UMass Amherst, where I served as the assistant director for student engagement and leadership. But my focus was always on our political and our advocacy organizations and our cultural organizations. So I spent the bulk of my career always working with these marginalized communities. And one thing that I emphasized to the student was about finding that community and being bold and making sure you create that community, right? So he says that here he feels isolated, he's trying to get through his work, trying to do all these things, but he just feels alone, there's nobody who relates to And what I gave him for advice was about creating that space for you, right? And creating that space and building that community. Um, Working on a higher ed, working in higher ed and on a college campus, I always found students who were always looking for that community. And for anybody who, has been on college campuses or has worked in college, they understand that that community is important. It's important to your experience because as much as they try to make it just about academics, the extracurriculars matter too. The community matters what you're doing to create the whole person. College is an experience where people, they come there and even though it's about the academic experience, so you can get your degree, you can go on work, that outside the classroom experience also is just as important because that's going to determine what kind of person you are when you leave and what kind of community you build. And I gave the example of, we had a student group come and, or a bunch of students, and they came and they said, we like to knit and there's no group for us. And I'm looking at these 18 to 20 year olds and asking them, why are they knitting in the first place? And I was like, you can do a whole lot of things on this campus and you choosing to knit. And that's okay, because that's your thing. I don't get it um, as an 18 to 20 year old, but that's what they wanted to do. They said, there's no club for knitting. We want to knit about five students. And we said, okay, so we can, we're going to start this organization for you. Um, How it worked, where I worked at was you spent a year, it wasn't probation, but you spent a year kind of like building up your, your, your group. And then the next year you'll get funding from the SGA because you're officially stamped. So I said, okay, you want to have this knitting group? We'll do that. They created a knitting group with five people. They went through the year. The next year they came back to me because I was not part of my core group, but they came and thanked me for firing the group. They got a budget. They were able to buy all these knitting supplies. They rented out the craft center and did all these things. And they had—they went from a group of five to a group of 55 in over a year. The knitting community. Right? So on a college campus that is known for partying, this is the knitting community, right? But what they did was they went out and created that because they felt that was important to who they were. And so when I told this student who comes from all these intersections where he has you know he has these immigrant parents he's a first generation student he doesn't know you know if anybody is like him on campus can he relate what does that look like and I told him to be bold and create that community for you because you'll be surprised you may find out that there are more people who relate to your experience than you think and they may not they may not come from you know have the background of coming from Africa or you know being part of the MENA region. But they may be first generation students and everybody, people can relate to what that experience is. And as a person who started an organization, got funding and made sure that I supported our first generation students, which is a multi dimensional organization that is very diverse. I know what that means to have all of those people in one space to have that community. And so we have to be bold about them. And I encourage everyone here as well. If you hear any stories like that, or you're working with students who feel they don't have that community, encourage them to begin to build that community. Because just like the knitting community that I helped kind of form, they found out there are more people than just these five who felt that this was important to them. So when we're looking at that and we're talking about marginalized groups and marginalized students, we're looking at the number of students um, who are here who come from these communities. And if they don't feel like they can find that, it's important that we as people in this room, and we as people who care about people and their experiences, really build all of that. And that is really the key. And that's very important. Be intentional with having everyone's voice heard, respected, and that being their authentic self to, and, and being their authentic self in the space is important and that going back to that story what that looks like that's important because you never know this student may want to leave because they don't relate they may want to be a lawyer they may want to work in law and do that but if they can't find that community or find those connections they may feel like this is not for them so it's always important that we are thinking about building that community and why it's important and it doesn't matter who you are or where you come from if you feel like something is important to you you always want to be surrounded by like-minded people right And what that means, I remember growing up, my mom used to always tell me, you are the company, and she always emphasized that the people that I have and the friends that I have are part of the identity that's going to be assumed about you. So if I'm hanging out with people who are not, you know, doing good things or in bad spaces, or I'm being influenced by them in a negative way, people are going to assume that's who I am. So always wanted to be around like-minded people, and I wanted to surround myself with like-minded people in those so, so, those spaces as well, so that's always super important. So just like anyone else, the importance of community building is important. We need to separate the fact that we are only here for academics and what that looks like, and we understand that's important because they got to pass their test, they got to pass the the bar, they got to they have to do everything in these space to be who they want to be in this in law. But as well, we need to be about building the whole student and the whole person, so when they go out there, their experience here is going to also reflect on the school that we're at and what kind of influence we have. So we always wanna make sure that we're being intentional with building those communities. Community is strongest when people from all backgrounds, orientation and perspectives are welcome and promote a fair and equitable space. And when we talk about diversity and we talk about what that means, A lot of times in my experience, and I experienced this just this week, where I was in a space and we were talking about diversity and someone who was white in the space said, yeah, well, when it comes to the black people and the Latinos. And I said, I didn't stop you there because I said, why are you pulling yourself out? And they said, well, you said diversity. I said, yes, diversity. When you pull yourself out, the space is no longer diverse. When we think about these words and what they mean, diversity is not excluding anyone it is inclusive that's why we talk about diversity equity and include and inclusion every we're going to need everybody at the table all of you in here come from different races ethnic backgrounds gender socioeconomic status but when we're talking about making albany law a place for everybody an equitable place for people to be successful it's going to take everybody in this room we're not talking about pulling anybody out or excluding anyone because that's not going to help us get to our goal Because everybody has different perspectives and those perspectives are important. So we need to make sure that when we're talking about that, that you do not pull yourselves out of any of these equations, because in order to create a diverse space, we're going to need everybody sitting at the table. And that's really what's important. Understanding. Just because things are not happening to you does not mean that they are not happening. And I say this because there's a lot of our experiences and perspectives that people really can, they just brush off. They feel like, oh, well, you'll hear a story in the news or you'll hear something about cops, you know, shooting unarmed uh, black people. And people Mm -hmm. thinking that that is not something that happens everywhere. It's an anomaly. You know, this is not whatever. Not understanding that our experience with law enforcement is very different. Everybody in here has had some sort of experience with law and I can tell you that as a Black person, when I'm in the space, someone will tell you that they've always had an experience with law enforcement. And I can share a story where people thought that this was not happening everywhere when it comes to this. And I'm just using this as an example. I remember one time I was going to the store. I had two of my kids. I only had two kids at the time. Both of them were really small. They were in my car. Went down the street. I forgot my wallet. I made a U-turn. Legal or not illegal, but I made the U-turn. I went back home to get my, I was going back home to get my wallet. And because uh, it was Popsicle day. If I showed to the store, didn't have the money for Popsicles. And if anybody has kids, so that is a disaster. But now we're turning around. They don't understand I'm turning around to go get the money so I can buy them Popsicles. So it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, chaos, it's chaos. Going down the street, I pull into my street and officer comes flying behind me. I don't, I don't know where it came from, didn't see him, whatever. So I pull in front of my house because I'm already there. Pull over in front of my house. I stop there and I get to the, I get to uh, In front of my house. I park, cop comes and instinctually, I put my hands on the wheel because that's just what I was taught. I was always taught when you get pulled over, you put your hands on the wheel to be safe. Officer walked over to me, his hand on his gun, ready to pull it out. And he said, you knew that your plates were expired. I said, I didn't know my plates were expired. He said, you were running for me. He said, no, I turned around because I have kids in the car and I forgot my wallet. So I turned around to get my wallet. He said, no, you were running for me. He grabbed his gun and was getting ready to pull it out. Mind you, I don't have any, a license to carry. I have no weapons in the car. I am just with me and my children. And as he's continuing to yell at me and tell me how I was lying about my sticker that was on the back of my plate, it got louder. And he got, really, he got even closer to pulling out his gun. And mind you, I'm just saying, I'm not doing it. I just went to go get my wallet. The kids on in the back crying out. They don't know what's going on. He's yelling. And then finally, because I live on the street with a lot of elderly people, my neighbors started to come out, you know, looking around. And they're coming out the houses. And they're doing different things, like coming out their houses. And finally, he starts looking around puts his gun back in, with his hand down in the way, and then proceeds to just tell me to get out. They have to tow my car. And in that moment, how I felt in that moment was, I'm probably gonna die here. And though that may be extreme, if you're watching everything that's been going on, I didn't know. One, I had nothing on me. I wasn't being defensive, I wasn't doing anything. I said, I just need to get my need to get my wallet, that was it. But automatically there was an assumption that I was going to do something or get aggressive. And I almost had a gun pulled on me in front of my children. And when I shared that story with some people who were telling me in a space that these things don't happen all the time and you're okay, like this is an anomaly. I had to explain to them, I was like, just because this does not happen to you does not mean that it's not happening around the world or around the country or whatever. Being understanding of these experiences, because there are plenty of people who have had great experience with law enforcement. None of Nothing has ever happened to them that would make them even put their hand on the steering wheel when being poor, because they don't have to worry. But there are other people who do. So we have to always think about these things. And that, I'm actually going to skip down because I'm going to use the word empathy. So when you're hearing things in the news and when you're doing things, you always want to lead and just lead with empathy, but also have empathy for other people's stories. Because we come from different places and everybody has their own individual unique experience. Everybody in this room has their own individual and unique experience that somebody else has not experienced with. So even though you may hear some things that you cannot relate to because they have not happened to you, you can absolutely show empathy and you can care about those people and care about their stories and validate their feelings about those things because that's important. And another part about this is not about being right, but getting to the right answer when understanding. Because a lot of times people will tell you that they want to just get to the right answer, listening to respond and not to understand. We have to switch that around. We need to make sure that we are listening intently to understand and not to respond, not trying to be right. How many people in here have any kind of social media? You raise your hands. Good for you. Keep, the, keep, it, keep it that way. You said, no, I don't got nothing. I many have been involved in some sort of back and forth about some sort of topic in the last five to six years. Okay. I was telling them last night that I used to do that a lot too. And I used to, what I, what I, the, the day that I realized that I need to stop arguing with people on the internet, because the internet is a place where people are reading and listening to respond and not understand, was when I took a conversation that I had, and we're talking about these same topics, and I copied and pasted all my answers, put them in a word doc, And when I realized that on this one comment that I had wrote a two-and-a-half to three-page paper worth of words, double-spaced, typed out, just like I would do any other paper, I said, I need to stop arguing with people on the internet because there is no way that I should be able... And mind you, this is a comment, not just, just under somebody's comment, going back and forth. And I realized that these, this person is not listening to me to understand anything. We're arguing. Everybody's here listening to respond, not to understand. And we have to shift our thinking, especially when we're talking about issues and topics of DEI. Because a lot of these things have to do with empathy, having empathy for people, having empathy for their experiences and who they are, and understanding that. And like you said, there are times, like you said, you may not be able to relate, but you can understand, you can empathize, and you can support. Those are all important pieces of what we need to do as people out in this world. And that's really the core of what understanding is about when it comes to issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Impact and weight you all hold in positions. Life is dependent on unbiased, civilized individuals who care about people versus the politics. And like we were talking about, the back and forth on the internet and what that means. all about politics and, and policy and all these things and things that we feel, but not things that are actually you know, practical. We have to understand that people should come before that. Understanding that in America and in the state that we are, that's not always the case. But as an individual, we can do that. We can make sure that we're, we're here to understand people and, not, and put, put the politics of how we feel to the side. Because a lot of times it's personal. A lot of times it's personal issues and things that we feel and it's okay to have different perspectives and i i think that's perfectly fine i never want to like i said i don't want to always be right i want to get to the right answer so if that comes from me trying to talking to someone to try to understand a perspective that's what i'll do at the end of the day if we don't agree if we agree to disagree at least we understand that we each have a unique perspective on something and that's always important now everybody has to be right it has to be someone on the far left Super conservative on the far right, there's no in-between. It's hard to have a conversation, because people don't want to talk, they don't want to have a conversation. And a lot of what we do is right now is even though I am talking, at some point we're going to continue to have a conversation. Beyond today and what we're doing here, there's going to be continued conversations. And I've never solved the problem by not talking about it. And if anyone in this room has Please come see me after and give me the formula so then I can bring that back to my wife so we can work out a lot of stuff. I don't have to talk about anything. I can just move on. But there's never been a problem that I faced that I solved because I didn't speak. And the problems that we face in this world and the problems that we're facing in this country, even currently, are not going to get solved if we don't talk about them. But talk about them in a way that we can actually have a conversation, listening to understand versus responding. We're, We're watching things happen in real time. And it's devastating. And we're looking at states like Florida and Texas, Utah, different states where they're trying to literally rewrite history and eliminate history from these things. Just the other day, they were pulling a single parent complained to the board, to, the, to their school board in this particular county that the Disney Plus movie, that's a bio, biographical movie on Ruby Bridges, who was one of the first Black children to desegregate school in America to teach white children to hate Black children. So the entire state of Florida is reevaluating the film to see if that's something that they need to pull from curriculum. And this is basic history. We're not talking about anything else. We're not talking about critical race theory because that's not something that's taught K-12 anyway. We're not talking about anything. We're talking about the history of America. Ruby Bridges is still alive. Some of the people who protested at Ruby Bridges desegregating a school escorted by U.S. Marshals are still alive. Their children are, and so are their grandchildren. And though that was a dark time in our history, that does not mean that we don't talk about it. Because what we don't want to do is go back to that. Because making sure that we understand the past helps us create a better future. But if we're constantly trying to eliminate the past and what's happened in this country to black people and marginalized communities, we're never going to learn from it. And today, everybody is just so upset with the race talk and so upset with all of these things, they don't don't wanna reflect on themselves. And again, I, as a professional, have never been in a space or a room teaching about diversity, equity, and inclusion, where I started off this conversation coming in here and saying, if you are a white person, you are a racist. If you have children who are born, they are also racist. Did I say that when I walked into this room? No. And neither does anybody who teaches the subject. That is not how you teach. One, it's false. But you will have these laws and legislations that are coming into place. That's what they're saying is happening. But that's not how you teach diversity, equity, and inclusion. Because, again, when we're talking about everybody, that's what it is. But Florida at the moment, and I'm using Florida as an example, because even though they might be the first state to start to eliminate diversity, equity, and inclusion offices and defund diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, it will not be the last. It's coming. And we see how these things roll out. We see how these things roll out. One state will do it first. Texas will do something. Then another state will do it. Florida will do something. Like These are revolutionary things for them. But we're going back to the, some of these things feel like Jim Crow era, era um, laws and legislation right? And for people in this space, especially, because I'm at Albany Law School, people in this room and students who are going to graduate from here have the opportunity to challenge those things that are happening to make sure that everybody feels included and safe. Because right now, what we're going back to is not a safe space. It's not even easy to talk about. Because in the state of Florida, this event, your office, None of this will exist anymore. And all we're doing is having a conversation to make sure that we understand and we talk. But just this event alone can cause a school to lose accreditation. And that doesn't make sense because we're just talking about who we are as people and how to treat people better and how to better serve the communities that we're going out to, how to better understand the communities that we work. Allyship. So the University of Minnesota Office of Equity and Diversity defines allies, I, this is the, what I use as a prime example. Is an ally is someone who is willing to pay attention to and take action around the social, economic, and political difference and inequities that attend to people based on distinctions of race, ethnicity, age, class, sexual orientation, gender identity, and expression, disability, religious or spiritual identity and nationality and when we talk about diversity as well all those things make up diversity we're not just talking about race a lot of people will default to race like we said we're talking about socioeconomic status gender ethnicity identity all these things make up diversity it's not just race and those are things that we want to debunk that when we talk about DEI, people just default to race, and these are conversations about race. No, so These are conversations about all of us and what those intersections mean to all of us and how we're made up, because these things don't just affect race and Black people and marginalized communities. They affect all of us, because this is what we're talking about and what we encompass. It encompasses everybody. So even though people do not want to have these conversations or they, want, they don't want to do these things, at the end of the day, it's still going to gradually affect everybody in this room in a negative way. Because there's no way that we can continue to move about who we are and what we're doing if we're going to not talk about our intersection or talk about who we are as people. And that's the crux of what I really want people to understand. That's why I'm driving that home because it really is about who we are and who other people are and embracing those differences. Those differences matter. They're good. It's good to have people with different perspectives Come into the room because you may—they may say something that you may have never thought about. There's perspectives in that in that space where you—you really—I was like, wow! I just i never would have thought about that before. And when we're looking at even laws and legislation that's being passed, we can talk about what's going on even around the country when it surrounds uh, Roe versus Wade and policing women's bodily autonomy. A lot of these laws and legislations that are being passed. The majority of the people who are in that room are men, white men to be notable. There are some women in there, but there are still white women. There's no diversity of thought. And as someone who has been inside of uh, of a labor room three times, up close and personal, and really saw what it's like for a woman to give birth, I will never tell a woman what to do with her body because I have no idea what just happened. (laughs) <laughs> so there's no way that I'm going to then tell you what you should do with your body or, what, or, or how to police it because it doesn't matter I don't have to go through any of those things I don't have to do any of that and I'm, I'm very happy <laughs> my, my wife is, is, is a trooper and I, I don't like to always say it but when we, we talk about strength and strong our third son was born at home he was a water bird there were no meds there was, there was no uh, I forgot what I forgot what it was called. I'm drawing a blank right now, but there was nothing. She did it all by herself. And I've never seen something more incredible in my life. So I will never tell a woman how to do that person or what to do with their bodies. And what we're looking at right now is there's no diversity of thought. And all of those things are being passed, not because it's science or backed by fact, but it's backed by preference. Understanding what that means and whether it doesn't matter what side. Of the, of the table that you sit on, whether you agree with abortion or whether you don't agree with abortion, the one thing we agree on is that we love America, or we're supposed to. Right? We live in America, we live in this country, and this country has always been built off of the American dream. So, No matter what race, creed, or any of your background that you come to, that this is the country where you can identify however you want, live however you want, and it's okay. Marry who you want to, and people mind their business. It's okay because it's America, because it's free. We always talk about America being this marvelous place of freedom. And you can do what you want, live how you want, marry who you want, whatever, because that's the American dream. Put yourself up by your bootstraps, all of these things to come to this country and do that. And now, with the things that are being passed and the laws that are being passed and things that are being put in place that are restricting the freedoms, that are affecting the um, mostly marginalized communities. what makes us any better than the country that America claims to be better than? Because everything that we're seeing, Roe v. Wade was first, affirmative action is on the table, and we've had senators and people in different positions of power who have also talked about the idea that interracial marriage should be policed by states and we should allow states to to uh, dictate whether or not they want that a part of law. These are things that are being said, that were said in 2022. And remember, interracial marriage is not just about a Black person marrying a white person, which is what people default to. But it doesn't, it doesn't matter. If, if it's not within your race, they don't mind making that illegal to then pass their laws and get those things done. These are things that are being said. Look them up. So where is the land of the free? We sing the national anthem. They don't sing the second verse. Why don't they sing the second verse? Because that second verse was about slavery, empowerment. They don't talk about that, why people were kneeling or sitting down, and what that means to people. And the freedom that people should have to do that, whether you agree or not. Because the point is, is that whether you agree or disagree with something, you should be able to live in this country and practice any religion you want, marry who you want to, and be who you want to be Because that is what it's supposed to be, the American dream is free. And we're watching all of those things be taken away very slowly. And that's going to affect everybody.
2: So we need to pay attention to that.
1: Being an ally is an action. And if people have heard this term ally and what that means of being an ally to, to, to people and to marginalized communities, it's not just about saying I'm an ally and I support everybody, right? At one point in about 2016, 2017, there was this initiative going around where people would put safety pins on their, on their, their shirts at work to, to, make, to, tell, to indicate that they're an ally to, to a marginalized community. Um, they're an ally here, right? So where are these safety pins? But when something came up, people with the safety pins weren't anywhere to be found. When it was time to take action, those safety pins didn't matter because they weren't speaking up or doing anything. And to me, that initiative didn't matter to me. I didn't care if anybody where I was working had on a safety pin, what are you gonna do when an issue comes up? You're gonna have the safety pin on, but you're gonna be quiet or you're gonna be silent. Then you can take the safety pin off because now you're just ruining a good shirt. <laughs> so where's the action? And when we talk about action. That means that when you see something, you step up and you say something. And granted, that's not easy for everybody. And I can admit that not everybody is good at public speaking, not everybody is good at, you know, taking action or speaking up when something happens, but you can do something. You can make a report and make sure that that happens. But allyship requires action. It is not to be sat back into your chair, put your safety pin on and say, I'm an ally for you. But when we get into trouble or when things come up or you don't say anything, there's there's nothing there. So we need to make sure that when we talk about being an ally, that we're ready to take action and that doesn't mean that you go out and you know you punch somebody in the mouth because something happened like not that kind of like slow down because you don't want to get arrested like we're not asking you to do anything extreme but we are asking you to definitely step up when you know something is going wrong or when you see something that's being said in your environment that you know could have been a sexist comment made somebody feel uncomfortable when you know somebody is perpetuating a microaggression you have to make sure that we're being conscious of who we are and our surroundings, so that way we can better support
2: people. And tips
1: for being a better ally. Having courageous conversations and creating a bond. Because I don't want anyone to just leave here and hear me say like, be a better ally, but what, what can I do And there's nothing that we can do? And I wanna make sure I give tools. So it's not about debating or disagreeing, it's about showing support for the people you lead. And the people that you're around the people who are in your environment creating psychological safety for those you are leading by showing interest and support and what they are dealing with don't know how to respond to something ask how you can support because not everybody's going to have you're not going to have an answer for something somebody can come to you with a problem and you're stumped and you're like i have no idea what to do or what to say how can i support you ask them what you can do so that way, you're, you're, being a, you're, you're actually taking, you're taking the action and the steps necessary. Providing resources when in doubt. If you know something's going on with something, if there's a student here that is dealing with anything or what's happening, and you're like, okay, I don't really know what to do. I don't know how to do anything, but here's some resources that can help. Provide them with mental health resources. Provide them with numbers for, you know, anything that can help them. Suicide hotlines, anything that can help a person. Whatever you need, give them the resources to be successful. Don't avoid conversations, show empathy and support. And the biggest mistake, and we talk about all these things sort of during this conversation, the biggest mistake that people do is avoiding conversations or do not want to speak about them. I know that for a fact that current events that are happening in our world and in America affect everybody in some sort of way, shape or form. Just a couple of days ago, there was a shooting in Nashville. Another shooting that was very public, Children died, faculty and staff died, and this is, it's only March, and we've had, I can't remember what the number is, but it's an incredible number, incredible amount of school shootings that are happening, both on college campuses and in elementary school, and I have children, and that affects me, I think about that, because you think it can't happen to you until it does. work on a college campus, that affects everybody here. It's so a law school, but it's still, there. there's, what was there, three, two other schools that are connected to here, right? So everything's in the big proximity. College students, student, students, right? Students, it doesn't matter. We are, those affect you. And sometimes that bleeds that into the classroom. And what I, would, what I used to see for around like 2017, 2018, students would come to me and say, we cannot move this, we, I can't just go to class today. Something happened, this is affecting me. I want to talk about it. And a lot of times people and professors would literally stop class or cancel class or report students because they didn't want to have conversation. They didn't want to talk about the current events that were going on because this is about school, right? But when we're talking about the whole person and developing the whole person, we have to make sure that we're also showing empathy there. <laughs> when you're in your workspaces, sometimes it can't be business as usual. You can't just come in, or if you're on, if you have meetings that are on Zoom or whatever you do, you can't just, some days, these things are heavy and they affect you. Now, we can't talk about every little thing and I understand that, but when there's stuff in the mainstream media, when there's things that are affecting you, even in your community, sometimes you got to move past business issues and you got to talk about those. And again, not saying that you'll always have the right things to say, but sometimes just giving people the space to speak is all they really need. And that means that, that comes with showing empathy and understanding who people are. And again, at the crux of what we're doing, we always want to make sure that we're thinking about the whole person. The tips for better understanding and community building taking everything forward that you're learning here, listening to people, commit to change behavior. And lead with your own example. My grandmother used to tell me something all the time. And I, I just something that I always, I always carried around with. me. And she always just said, when you know better, you do better. <laughs> and there are times where we don't always know that we're doing something wrong. We don't know that we may, we may be um, perpetuating acts of microaggression. We don't know that we may be unconsciously judging someone because we're just looking at them or who they are. Sometimes we don't know. But when you know better, you do better. Once you understand that however you've acted or what you've done is a problem, you then move forward to to fix that problem, taking yourself out of it, not being offended, understanding that you have to be a better person in this scenario so you don't make that same mistake again. And you lead by that example and make sure that the people around you are also following that example. And those portions right there are are, are really key into really building a better community and building yourself up to understand people more. Because again, at the core of what we're doing, what we're talking about here, when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, is really understanding who we are. Understanding that our intersections make us different, understanding that our perspectives and our experiences make us different, but coming to the table and coming into a room like this all together with these unique experiences and then and all the things that we have experienced in our own lives put us in this room and you all belong here. Understanding that people who you are, your intersection, that you belong at this school, understanding that you should be working here, that you serve a purpose, all of those things make up those intersections about who we are. And as I close, I just want people to understand that. Diversity, equity, inclusion should be a part of the fabric of our being, not just buzzwords or a buzz phrase that we do. Understanding that you need everybody at the table in order to make this happen. If we want to make this school, if we want to make our country better, it starts with us as individuals and making sure that we understand who we are so that way we are impacting the people who are around us to be better, so that way we can all go forward and continue to be better. Because again, we're talking about treating people how they're gonna be treated and understanding and leading with empathy. So the biggest thing that I want you to take away from this is just to make sure that you don't wipe away your own intersection. Understand who you are, so that way you can better understand people. Because as we continue to move forward and we're watching things that are happening in this country that feel very regressive, and some days you don't know what to do or what to say some days we just completely ignore it because there's so much happening but in order for us to stop going and back in your past we need to make sure we acknowledge that past so we can have a better future so um i thank you all for your time and yeah thank you
2: <laughs> uh, 20 minutes or so. Yeah. Yeah, start for <laughs>
1: so this is a safe space too. I understand that these are always weird when we do the QA. You may not have anything to say or anything at the time, but this is definitely a safe space. for like anything that I've said that you may be pondering or anything like that, just you can feel free to ask whatever you want to here. So take your time and you know I I'm definitely happy to answer and engage.
3: I question, uh, I'm, I'm Hi, I'm Hi, she's office here. You mentioned earlier that you were in the car with your children. What was the end result of that situation?
1: So the end result of that situation was they ended up towing my car. <laughs> um, they did not let I, even though I was parked in my home, they did not let me leave it on the lot. Um, so they did tow my car, and he called for backup, which is also was also odd because, again, I had nothing going on and I had children with me and everybody was more trying to understand, like, what's going on? Like, we can leave this car here and we can leave him alone. We can do whatever. Um, I did get the badge number and I did report um, because it was I just thought that that situation escalated um, to something that was very dangerous. And I didn't really understand why that officer felt so threatened by me to have his hand on his gun and was ready to pull it on me and get me out of my car for uh, uh, an expired sticker on my license plate, which I did not know about at the time because, you know, we go through everyday life with some things we don't pay attention to until they come up. Um, and so the end result was really that. I don't know what happened to the officer. I do have like family and friends in law enforcement. So I did call just to make sure like everything was fine or to make every sure that like my cousin, he was on, he's on the force. He actually did come and show up um, just to make sure nothing else happened. But it was more just about, you know, um, I, I just wanted them to understand that experience. And like, for me, um, as a black person, as a black man, and being in that situation, understanding what the climate is at the time, and you know, what that means, you know, I was genuinely scared, you know, and my neighbors were very helpful, because they all came out. like I had neighbors down the street. And once the once people started seeing commotion, they all started to come out to make sure it was fine. So it's always great to have like good people around you, right? And um, like I said, I lived in the neighborhood at the time where it was, it was full of elderly people, and they were just, you know, we we passed they people like that. People would they'll come to my house and literally, like, with I'm going to give you pasta because this happened to you. That's the kind of, that's the kind of neighborhood that that I that I lived in. Um, so it was really nice to just kind of see that, and they also did, you know, complain and make reports um, because it it's, it was dangerous and it was uncalled but also helping other people understand like these things do happen. Like I don't. I didn't expect that to happen to me. Um, It's not my first time with law enforcement that's been negative. Um, Not every experience is negative. And I understand that not all cops are bad or racist or anything like that. Like I said, like I have cousins who are on the force. My grandfather's a retired detective. Both of my godmothers are retired officers. So I understand, but that doesn't mean that there still isn't things going on within, right? And what we have to understand about those situations. So, you know, it just, I just wanted to provide perspective on that because there are times when people will think that these things are exaggerated and they're, you, you see it once on the news and then that's a blip, right? But not knowing that these things happen. So when I say like, just because these aren't happening to you doesn't mean they're not happening. It's really just about making sure that even though you've never had a bad experience, you may not have a bad experience, or maybe something like this didn't happen to you, understanding and having empathy for people that that does and why they may have the perspective they do. Thank
2: you. Thank you. Yes. Hi, Dr. Thank you for your presentation. My name is Amy.
3: I also work in admissions. And I wonder if um, you know, you're know you working largely with undergraduate students, is correct? You talked about that you have worked over the past 14 years with a lot of undergraduate students. Yes. So um, I believe that many of us, particularly the staff, have come up in a time where we didn't really talk about these things, you said, right? And now there's a whole new generation coming out of college who they not only talk about them, but then it's like ingrained in them, mm-hmm. as you say. So I wonder if you have any suggestions for things we could be doing as an institution or as a, a community to sort of be more better prepared to receive this sort of new generation of folks that think and act and expect very differently than what we may have previously been accustomed to.
1: Absolutely. And one of the things that I always encourage is making sure that people, especially staff and faculty, have opportunities to to have trainings and different conversations on how to have those conversations. Right. Like what what I what I noticed and what I learned through that time um, is that and I had to take a step back, too, and I had to explain this to other people is that we in this country up until about 2015, 2016, really did not talk as heavily about these topics, even though we worked and we understood they were there, they weren't out in the front like that. And also, nobody was really prepared to have them unless you were already having those conversations. So, and I'll go back to the social media portion, right? There were times where I would post that I'm always, I was, I was already in this space. So I always post things and people will comment, but you know, once things kind of got hot around the election, um, of former President Donald Trump, conversations began to ramp up and people were saying things and it was coming out all kinds of ways. And so people were like, man, this is your friend, this is the president, you like, blah, 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 And they would inbox me, it was like, I didn't mean it this way, this is what I meant. And understanding that like, nobody was prepared to have these conversations, we're sort of just thrusting it. And I always tell people normally, like I'm like, when uh, when President Obama got into office, and he won two terms racism was cured and that's where people really thought about it, it was like well we have a black person in the office we never thought we'd see that um we're all set we're pretty good yeah you know job's done Yeah. You know, so like that's kind of and then we we quickly understood that oh no this is not this isn't it like we're not done at all um you didn't we didn't see a lot of these things come to the forefront right so nobody was really prepared to have these conversations and the best thing and the most important thing I always tell people is to make sure that you are providing space for people to be wrong. And what I say about that is that you're not going to understand how to have this conversation a lot, especially if you don't. But people are more afraid to say anything because they're so scared of being wrong or scared of being canceled and all these things like that, that they don't want to say anything. Right. And I I'm, i don't believe in cancel culture. And we hear that a lot. Um, I'm, I'm I believe in a culture of accountability. So my 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 counter to cancel culture is creating a culture of accountability where, you know, if you if you've said something or you've done something that is considered cancelable or what that what that means in that phrase. Let's take a step back and make sure that you're being held accountable for that and what you're going to do to move forward with that. So um, I don't that those are, again, sort of buzzwords or things that were kind of, you know, language that was, uh, you know, hijacked by people who felt that these were wrong, so they're gonna take this and make it their phrase and make it negative, right? So I'm always about a culture of accountability and making sure that college administrators, uh, college faculty have the opportunity to have these conversations. And the reason why I talked about that we can't always do business as usual in these classrooms is because I know as a person who had to sit in meetings with all faculty and tell them how to have these conversations teach them how to have these conversations and also explain to them these conversations are important. I know that giving the opportunity and the space to do that is something that's important. So what we're doing here today and other things that can be put into place for initiatives that are directly like for, this is going to be for faculty and staff here, how to understand these topics, how to move about these topics. And again, you're not going to always have the answer, right? And that's why I always talk about like Not having the answer, but still giving people the space to have a conversation and providing them resources. Because those are always important. Because, like you said, a generation, generations, where these conversation bridges not happening, and now they're common practice. They're going to talk about them, and this generation of kids that are coming in, they're going to say whatever's on their mind. They're going to say what they feel. They're going to put it up on TikTok. They're going to have these conversations whether you want to or not. So be better prepared to have those conversations. But that also starts with. your institution creating those spaces like we are now to hold those conversations, to ask those questions, and not afraid to be wrong. And the the classes that I teach, when I teach about these topics of DEI in, my, in the college classes and my courses, um, you know, I, I've taught with anywhere between 10 to 100 students at a time. And I always tell them, do not be afraid to be wrong. This is the space where if you think something is right or if you think something is wrong, whatever it is, I would like you to say that here. So we can have a conversation about it. So that way when you leave here, you're not going, you're going to have a different perspective and know how to navigate those conversations. Because you say here, I can help you. You say it out there, I can't help you. I can't, I can't, I can't really help you with how people react or what's gonna happen. So I'm always about making sure that we're facilitating these conversations and having people come in so that way they understand. And again, it's not about being right, it's about getting to the right answer. So no matter what side of you know the political poll, total poll that you fall on. You still need to make sure that you're prepared to have these conversations and what that means, but not just have them to be right. Have conversations so that way people feel comfortable having those back and forth and having those conversations with. Them. So the biggest thing that I, I I recommend, especially when I go in and consult, is to make sure that there's space created for faculty and staff to have these conversations. And not just these one-offs, right? Not just one-offs that are, you know, we're going to do this once a year, then that's it, we're going to build this big room, that's it, right? It needs to be something that's interactive and that helps. Um, and something that's reoccurring. So that way everybody is prepared to do so.
3: Thank you. Yes. Okay, I'm just going <clears> to <throat> put it out there as I keep saying it. We keep going to these sessions and they're teaching us how to have the conversations, but when is it appropriate to happen? Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, do I just walk up to somebody and say, hey, what do you think of this? It's just... I don't know when it's appropriate. Um, an example, you were talking about your interaction with a police officer. I was thinking about when I had, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm a white woman, I can't talk about that. Because it wasn't a great experience. This man went and talked to my husband to get permission to talk to me. Do oh, you know think? I just don't, I don't know how to have the conversation. I don't know when in the mayor. I'd love to sit and talk about what is it that I could do different. Like I don't know. That's, I guess that's no, the yeah. feeling is every time we leave these things, it's just that I feel like I learned something, mm-hmm. but at what point am I gonna sit and talk about it? Like nobody's walking in my office saying mm-hmm.
1: right. No, and I, I um and for those who didn't hear, she she was asking about when is it appropriate to have conversations like this right and no i i what i don't want you to do is to leave here and then go into cbs and randomly talk to somebody like diversity and race and share this with you right that's a little bit awkward, even for somebody like me i'm just like that is uh okay sure maybe not, or i'm gonna run out of here right so we always know understand that there's a time and place for everything which is also about why Professors were not, they felt like we shouldn't be having this conversation about X, Y, and Z current event, because this is not the class of this, like this is oceanography. I don't want to talk about what's going on. Right. But at the same time, if your students are feeling compelled and they came to class anyway, it's like, well, what do we do? And those spaces, and I watched this happen in real time once. And I I told the person, I was like, just let them talk. And it was like, well, what do you want to talk about? They talked about how it felt. They talked about what it made them feel and that was really it. And a lot of them said thank you because they were going to class and doing all this stuff and it was heavy. But it was, you know, people want to speak. And so for for someone like you who's like, when do I have these conversations? A lot of time is going to happen in spaces where you're occupying by yourself and you'll overhear something. Right. If you want to also you can also create the space on whatever you're doing. So you're saying like, hey, we're going to have these like, you know, they call them courageous conversation where you might want to teach the people that you're working about, about what you learned. So be like, hey, listen, we're going to have this courageous conversation. It's going to be a conversation about X, Y, and Z, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Even invite, some, you know, talk to the office, collaborate with the office here and see like, hey, listen, I think that I really learned something here. How do I bring this out? How do I have these conversations? And I'm sure they will help you create that time and that space to do it. And also what I tell a lot of my students is like this, this work happened when we're not in the room. Right. It, these conversations happen at Thanksgiving, Christmas. You know, the Sunday dinner, Easter's coming up, all these things are coming up where you're in spaces with family and friends and you may overhear things that are negative. It could be sexist, it could be racist, it could be anything like that where you're hearing these things. Like those are the times to also make sure you're chiming in, right? And again, these are not easy conversations to have, right? So it's not like you're gonna have this conversation that is going to be met with, um, great, let's sit down and talk. That's usually not how it works. And, but how it works is, you just make sure that you're doing your part and having those conversations, right? And you're bringing those things out to the front and making sure that you as a person are creating that space that's safer for whoever, right? And let's say even even in that, even in that moment where you said someone asked your husband permission to talk to you, right? And like, that's kind of like, that's like, that's a real old school kind of back when women couldn't have bank accounts era. You know, so <laughs> like, that's a, that's, a, that's a real old school practice there, right? But even in that space, it's like, you know, making sure that you're advocating. And doing those things, or what you're seeing, and even if you see some things, right? There's there's an example that I always see um, that I use is where um, a woman, she was white, and she was there in the grocery line. They were scanning. They were doing. She you know she got her groceries out. One behind her with a person of color, and I guess the person asked them, or what she did was all right, Let me let me start over. She paid with a uh, with a check back in the day where you could be you could do that at the grocery store, right? They're not having that anymore. <laughs> yeah, your check balancing and they they out of money. Ain't doing that. But she paid with a check. It's fine. Paid with a check. She left or she was getting ready to go, packing her bag. The person called behind her, did the same thing with the check. The woman asked for an ID. She said, You know, you know, what bank account? What bank is this? Blah, blah, blah. All these questions that naturally for this woman who was white in the front, she didn't get. She took her checkbook out, the check handed it to her. You know, a person holding it up like, you know, like it's a fake dollar bill kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like all these things And she turned around and said, Hey, why are you doing this to this person? But you didn't ask me for this. What's the reason? Right? That right there is a moment of allyship and action. Right. Cause that's when you're like, you're stepping up and you're doing these things, and you're saying that, right? And also there may be times where you're not comfortable. And then you go to like, hey, I need to see the manager here. I need to see all these people. Like, I'm gonna report this. Like this person did this. We're not gonna have like, you gotta make sure that and whatever way that you can be bold in yourself, that you have these conversations and always understand and know your audience and your space, right? To have those conversations, because again. You know, we we don't want to just randomly kind of blurt these things out, right? Like, I I work in a space where I always have to make sure, like, I'm reading the room and understanding, like, I'm going to have this conversation here or I'm going to bring up this topic here because sometimes it's just not the space or it's the time to do it. But it's always just about examining your surroundings. So not only creating space here to have those conversations, but also when you're in your daily life and you understand, like, when those things are coming up, because we all know. We all know when we should probably have said something. We know when somebody has said something that was inappropriate and we didn't speak up and we didn't create that, right? So it's really just about making sure that as people, we're holding ourselves accountable. And we're, when those, when the time comes, we are hold, we're we're having those conversations um, courageously and boldly. So just really kind of examining your spaces um, and picking your spots, but understanding what that means too, being conscious of your surroundings to do that. So I think if you want to have the conversation even here, this would be a good place to do one and collaborate with the office because you always want to make sure two things always make sure when you're having conversations about dei and mental health make sure a professional is there it's okay to be an advocate but if you don't know how to facilitate those conversations make sure you have a professional there people will have conversations about therapy and mental health and nobody in there is a certified licensed clinician and ain't done therapy there's an advocate but you're not going to help people who are coming into that space who actually have problems right because the people who are coming to those spaces actually have problems. They're dealing with some real internal mental health things so they're coming here for a safe space, but there's not a professional to guide them, right? So always make sure you have that when you're trying to do it like in a controlled space like a campus, but when you're out and about and you're doing those things, just be observant. Be observant of your surrounding, be observant of the situations, and you'll know when to do you because we all we all know when, when something is going on that's not right, and a lot of times we're, we act as bystanders, and we're just kind of listening and watching instead of Really kind of being an ally and stepping into action. Right. So it's kind of like the ally versus the bystander scenario. So you really have to choose which one you want to be in that situation. Sure,
3: everybody in this room is shocked when I tell you that I volunteer firefighter and it's a bunch of old men. And I am them out because they are racist, they say bad words that are really inappropriate and a lot of times they'll just say, oh, that's just Jimmy. That's what he says. And I say, no, it's not. And I call them on it right in front of everybody. So right. I, I mean, I do think that that's the way we're, we're going to change. Not that he hasn't changed, but every time he does it, I call him on it in front of him.
1: Right. Because yeah, and those things are really ingrained into kind of like who people are, right? And I always tell people, like, just because it's always been done this way, Does that mean that it's right or that we should do it right? Like before we, you know, um, even in older buildings that are around here, pretty sure they had signs that said Colorado and where you can go drink and you can do different things. Every place has an area or historical building where you can look back at, this is how it's always been, but does that make it right? So just because Mr. Jimmy has always been a bigot, that doesn't mean that it's right. And every time that it comes up, You need to make sure you're saying something. And that comes with anything. And I I I this I'll give you an example. When we came back from the uh the COVID lockdown, we're transitioning back into campus and we used to do all this old stuff that never made sense. And so when it came back, I said, hey, why don't we try doing this thing this way and watch how more efficient it is? Because we watched how working remotely and all these things, all of these meetings that could have been an email, we watched kind of those things transition right? Like into a more efficient way. So I said, let's do it this way. And I got a lot of pushback from some of the older staff that, well, we've always done it this way. We've always done it this way, this way. I'm like, yeah, but you spend $50,000 on this thing and five people show up. So like, what are we doing? Like, just because we've it's always been this way does not mean that it's always been the right way. So how do we adjust that, right? So you're doing really well in that area. About what that is, and calling out when someone says something inappropriate or he says something sexist, or, you know, and especially being a woman in a space like that is always different. And I'm pretty sure that outside of him saying some things, there probably been some things said to you that were also inappropriate, but they're saying that because of how what they're, what they're wired to be, right? And all of these things take a little bit of self evaluation and rewiring. If you asked me seven or eight years ago, you know, would I be standing up here doing this? My wife would laugh at you because I was a person who was like, I don't want to talk about this. You're too deep. Can we just watch the movie? Can we just have these conversations? Like I had to also understand and learn and rewire myself about, hey, if I want to be a better person. If I want to better understand people, I need to also work on myself. Right. I'm not I didn't, you know, come out the womb uh freedom fighting. You know, I mean, like I, I, had to experience, I had to grow, and I had to learn. And this is an ever-evolving area. Things are changing. Language changes. You know, now we're into the era of making sure that we're calling individuals by their proper pronouns. Why that's important? How people identify and what that means to them. You know, where things are always evolving, and we need to make sure that as things evolve, we evolve too. All right? So. You're doing a great job in that area, and I commend you for what you were doing and in that space, especially being the only woman or one of very few in that space. Um, so, that, but that's that's the best way to approach it, and having being that courageous because that's not easy. It's not easy for them to hear that, and it's also not easy for them to hear it from a woman. So, you're doing a great job, Josh.
0: Can you can you take the conversation a step further and outside the white Okay, you can cycle
3: and my.
0: there probably a lot of. About right, and as right, in the fear of what think that if I say something, what if I say the wrong thing? So, they talk a little bit about things, pushing in fear, right, is I'm saying, um, and also taking the invitation to other groups, right? Because I, I make very clear that my office is a safe space and they come talk to me all the time. and There are a handful of folks at this institution that will and do pretty regularly, uh, but there are also, and I have seen some R very courageous in different spaces so on because I find her to be someone who, who, who will speak when, when she feels like something doesn't sound quite right That's the moment, which I appreciate about um But then the other piece for me is can you talk a little bit about sharing the experiences versus comparing their equality? Absolutely. So the, I, and I do a lot of this
1: today. I implore storytelling and what that means and sharing a story from my perspective, right? Instead of, I, I've never, I don't compare my experience to anyone else's, but I share my experience and that comes through a form of storytelling. That's why I gave you examples of when I was pulled over and, um, you know, the examples of me being on campus, what those things are. Um, it's, it's very important to make sure that from your perspective, when we talk about using I statements and what that is, sharing your story and sharing that out and making sure that people can understand that perspective because it's important. So that's also a different way to do it. And pushing through the fear is also what's important. We're, we're always fearful of how people will perceive us in any scenario, right? People say first impressions are a thing. So we even when we walk into a space, we're always like just conscious of who we are as people so because we don't want to make a bad impression, right? Or we're afraid that... Our relative won't speak to us or we might lose a friendship because we're correcting somebody on something that is clearly negative that they need to correct and my biggest thing is if someone that you know or even if you don't know but specifically someone you know is perpetuating these kind of things and what that means they'll need to be around and it's okay for them to go Because if they don't want to accept the fact that, hey, what you're saying is wrong, what you're doing is wrong, how you're doing this is wrong, and you know it's wrong and you've corrected that, and then they don't want nothing to do with you, they don't need to be there. And I don't don't mean to get very personal, but the way that you push through that, and I say that at at a place that I walked in, I consulted with this company, and they were like, well, we don't want to do this diversity training. Can we change the language? Microaggressions feels judging. And... Uh, you know, we don't want to talk about these things, and because we don't want to lose any employees. I said, if you're going to talk about microaggressions, which essentially are acts that people perpetuate unconsciously that are negative and just a bias towards people, if you don't want to talk about that, or if you talk about that and somebody leaves, you don't need that employee there. They want to leave because we're talking about racism and we're talking about how to be a better ally and what that looks like, and they're just like, hey, I don't want to do this anymore, I quit. Guess what? You're going to hire somebody else because that's what people do. They will hire another person, they'll bring them in, and they'll do that but we have to push past the fear of we're afraid that somebody's not going to like us, our employees are going to leave or what we're going to do. We have to make sure that right is right and wrong is wrong. And we don't need to be afraid of correcting wrong or speaking up when you're hearing something that's wrong because the more that we stay silent about these things, the more they're going to continue to happen. And even if it doesn't affect you directly, at some point it's going to come knocking on your door. And then what? Then you're going to want to speak up. You're going to want to defend yourself. Or you're going to want something to happen. But think about all the times that people have said things that affected other people and you stood there and didn't say a word. And it's important to make sure that you utilize the the resources that you have and even talking about the open invitation. Don't think that because we have the diversity, equity, and inclusion office that you don't belong in there or you can't go. Or like you said earlier, I think you mentioned something, grace abuse, like I'm a white woman. I shouldn't say this or talk about this, right? That's not the case. Because, again, when we talk about these issues and what that means, we're going to need everybody in order to make this place better. So you're going to need to speak up. You're going to need to talk about these things. And it doesn't matter if you're a white woman, if you hear something that is wrong regardless of whatever the topic is, you need to make sure you're saying it. And in some some spaces, you're already saying that you do. But in other spaces, you're like, I don't know, I probably shouldn't say this because I'm white, I should probably whatever. But you need to make sure to bring that same boldness that you have outside inside the and go into these spaces and take the invitations that are there from the DEI office to really sort of help create that space because it's not just about what's happening to the students. It's also about what's happening in various departments because I've gone into departments even at my own job and they're having their own issues with issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So it's the people that you're also working with every day, not just what's happening with the students, because you also have a place here and you need to feel safe in this space. You need to be able to have these conversations in this space. How do we do that by setting that up and collaborating and open that up? But we cannot be fearful of what people are going to think or what they're going to say in regards to us making sure we're taking a stance that is about treating people right. We need to make sure that we we take that opportunity to speak up and it's easier said than done. Everybody wants to be liked. everybody wants to be loved. Everybody wants to feel safe in the space. And there are times where even you feel that if you speak up, you're going to become the target. But at the same time, you should not have to sit with and deal with those same things just because you're fearful of this person may not like me or they might make my job harder. Make sure you're doing what you need to do. And everybody wants to feel safe in the space. And the only way that we can create these safe spaces and create these communities that really are about us and about everybody coming to the table is if that we make sure that we're speaking up and being and advocating for everybody around around the room. Okay,
3: since we're slightly analyzing, yeah. <laughs> just because I can't think that other people in this room are having the same thoughts and feelings. I'm so I'm going to say sorry if you guys think I'm annoying. I worry, I don't have a problem at my firehouse telling those white men, you're being inappropriate. Stop, because they're my peers. They're the white men that I know are behaving inappropriate. But I will share that at one of our last meetings, um, I shared something, Rita had shared about people judging based on her name that they anticipated she was going to be white and whatnot and it turned out well then i shared a story about how my name is very deep my name is samara and my maiden name is jones so i was samara jones when i went to college my roommate was expecting black person so i shared that story and then i started when it was all over i started overthinking like oh my god did i just a offend rita like she's a black woman and i'm comparing myself to her and I over-worry about offending people, the diverse people. I, I mean, I, I do think of myself as being somewhat diverse. Like, I know, I mean, I'm a diverse, but I've had very diverse lives. But I had the bold conversation of, did I offend you? Is it okay for me to talk about, the police officer right put it in my hands on his chest to tell him to back off of a patient, and then he, as I said, he went and got my husband's permission to come to my house and talk to me about it. But I don't know. I don't. What is the? Do you guys want to hear what we have experienced? I'm being very bold right now. i saw that out there. So
1: this is this is the time to do it.
3: I'm sorry about that, but I, I just feel like that's kind of what. I don't know. I grew up in a small white community. I went to school, there was one black kid. I still live in a small farming community where there's not a lot of interracial and different diversity. And I quite frankly don't know what what I'm supposed to do.
1: I think overanalyzing the situation Comes from the idea that you don't want to offend or you don't want to hurt. And I think the idea of when we talk about intent versus impact, right? A lot of people have great intentions, but they'll still do something that still has a great negative impact on a situation.
2: I don't believe you can.
1: Right. But I don't think that you're doing that in those spaces. I think what you need to do is the same way that you're being bold and asking questions in the moment is also what you need to do in the moment because you're not going to know or learn how to better. You know how to better approach that situation. If you're holding all that in until you go home on the drive, and then on the drive home you're thinking that you said something, and then now what you're not doing is talking to Bria, and then that she's going to be like, well, "Why isn't this person talking to me? Is it because I'm black?" And like, what I'm like, you, you are, you've created a scenario already that's gone in a circle that wasn't necessary. And. You know, the, the idea of and when we talk about diverse, right, you said diverse population, I want you to change that. And use when you are talking marginalized communities, the reason why I say that is because, again, when we talk about diversity, we don't want to default to people by their race. We want to make sure we're covering everybody because diversity is encompassing of more than just race. So when you're doing that, also do that and change that language. That'll be helpful for you. But at the end, you just need to ask the conversation because Samara Jones is a very, you know, that's a black name. So I got like I, I know a Samara Joan. I know a Samara there are, any Samara that I've met up until just now was a black person so understanding that that's that's also very unique so that's okay and it's okay to talk about that and I don't think you shouldn't talk about that in comparison but just share your experience not like well my name was Samara and I was black too so what does that mean that's not that's not how you that's not how you approach it that
3: was it. my intent but when I walked away I was afraid that that's how it.
1: Yeah. Right. So what so what you want to do is you want to be conscious of sharing your perspective, not in a way that's comparison, but also just sharing like this is what I've also experienced as well. Because when I do this and I'll give you an example, I was I used I, I was in a class once where I talked about I come I'm from Springfield, Massachusetts. I live in Charlotte. I'm a transplant. But now I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, but I'm from Springfield, Massachusetts. And when I was in this class, I was one of three black people and I was explaining that. I live in Springfield and we have a high school that has a daycare and nobody in the room could really understand why does this place have a daycare? And I was like, well, kids have kids, unfortunately, everywhere. So in order for them to graduate and to get to where they need to go, they create a daycare center. So that way you can drop your child off. You can go to school and they pick your kids up after school for your charge. And that was the most baffling thing to somebody. And one person told me, that's not real. You're lying. And I said, well, you can look up the school and you can see the big daycare center and then on the side of the school, when you do a Google Maps, if you want. to. And that was when I talked about just because you have not experienced that and you don't know what that is, not mean that it's happening to other people. Right. So it was more about just being reflective of of who you are and not to compare, but to share your experience of what that means. And I don't know how the conversation went or what that means. Maybe you did. I don't know. I wasn't there to kind of understand the, the whole story. But what you don't want to do is let that linger. And what you would do, especially to someone like Bria, who is a professional in the space, is say, hey, what did I say to you just, what did I say just now? How did, how did you take that? Is there a better way for me to approach that? Ask the questions. And asking the questions is also a form of boldness. Because if you're going to sit there and just say things, Then it's going to come off as like, okay, well, this person is clearly ignorant. I don't want to interact with this person in this space because they don't care. But making sure that you, like, I want to be better. I want to understand how to better interact here. And I want to better understand as a white person who I am and how my story can better help someone. But I want to, I need to know that. So don't sit on anything. If you feel in the moment, like, oh, I might have said something wrong, right? Ask a question. And also make sure you're doing the work. Because if you're constantly making the same mistake and you're constantly asking the same question, that means you're not really reflecting on what you're saying and what you're doing or taking in what these people are saying, listening to understand and not to respond, turning that into action. Because there are times where people will still make the same mistake, you'll still share that same story, and it will still sound the way that it sounds. But you're always asking, like, well, what can I do better? Make sure when you get that feedback that you apply it. And don't take offense to that feedback. Take it as something like, listen, you asked me. I'm going to tell you how to better do this. This was not how you say this, and let me tell you why. That person will always explain to you what the better approach is and how to do it, and then you take that and you apply it. A lot of times, what happens is in those moments, people get offended because you think that it's an attack on you, or most of this work, people will think that it's an attack on them. Like this, this DI work is an attack on white people, and white men are the most oppressed people in America because we can't do it. All, all these other things. That we talk about because people are not taking themselves out of the situation. If you want to help people and you want to help yourself, take the feedback and apply it so that way you can better have these conversations. And that goes with anything. Your, your your supervisor or your manager or whoever, you know, they'll give you feedback on something and you can look at it and be like, oh, that person's stupid. I'm not gonna do that. Then you can do it again and you're still gonna get a negative response. If you don't take that feedback and apply it to your work that you're doing, that your supervisor has given you you're going to get fired. (laughs) Like it's going to happen. You got to take that feedback and apply it. The same thing goes in this space. If you're going to say something, you're going to be in these spaces. Don't be afraid to be wrong, but also do not get offended when you're being told what to say and how to be better about it because it's not going to work. And you're going to keep showing up in these spaces confused and say the wrong thing. You got to make sure that you're applying that and doing the work and putting it into action. And I don't know if you have anything else to say. I'm happy to bounce that back, but go ahead. I to oh, oh okay. <laughs> no. this, this this this
2: this
1: this was this if nobody else had anything else to say. If you do, I'll be available. Please come talk to me. I'll give everybody my contact. I'm happy to continue the conversation. But this is the space that you do that. So I'm not upset at you. Nobody else should be upset about you because you had the boldness to ask the questions. And that shows me, at least, that you want to be better. And I don't mind having that and doing that. So don't feel bad about taking up the space because sometimes it's necessary, especially during the Q&A, where most people probably wouldn't ask me a question anyway. So, and I think that's y'all. I'm just talking from
0: experience. So
1: I appreciate the interaction. um, And I appreciate all of you. Thank you all for taking the time. I know we're over, but um, if anybody else has anything else to say, any other questions, um, I will be here up until about 5.36 because I have a flight to catch. But thank you all very much. I truly appreciate it. Thank you.